The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 301, presented by Rageworks, broadcasting live Thursday, July 9th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show where I give my take on sports meaning MMA and wrestling, well, sports entertainment in the wrestling sense, and MMA on Wednesday nights, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, and on Thursdays we cover gaming and entertainment. You can listen to the show live by heading over to mtrlive.com or check out our simulcast on gfqlive.tv. You can also look for the GFQ app on Roku and watch the video stream that way. In addition to the video streams on MTR Live and GFQ, you can also listen to live audio via Mixler, either on mtrlive.com or via the Mixler app. We also have a full chat in progress during live shows, which you can find on mtrlive.com. Archived episodes of the show get distributed within 24 to 48 hours in podcast format for iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Plus, all other broadcasts, including this one, can be found on RageWorks.net as well. All right, so last night slash this morning, we broadcast our 300th episode of My Take Radio. Um, definitely a longer episode than I had hoped for a multitude of reasons. I mean, the layoff definitely did not help, but um, I was I was happy with some of the stuff that had, that came out of the show. There were certain things I would like to have fixed but alas we're back on the saddle we got 300 behind us and we are moving forward of course with episode 301 couple of things last night we opened up the rageworks group officially to the public so if you want to interact with fellow mtr listeners and um readers of rageworks.net make sure to check out the official rageworks group we're going to include that link in the show notes um, episode 300, we are going to be uploading it soon. I unfortunately dropped the ball last night and did not record the episode, uh, the video version of the episode. So I am awaiting an upload from Andrew at GFQ. 
so that I can take the video and edit it accordingly. The audio is also being edited, and that should be uploaded by later Friday evening, early Saturday morning. Like I said, 24 to 48 hours after the broadcast, we are able to get the stuff on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. So if there is a delay, it's primarily my fault. Like I said, I dropped the ball last night, but we hope to have that resolved and have episode 300 and 301 uploaded sooner rather than later. Also, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of Black is the New Black, plus tons of content on RageWorks.net. We got San Diego Comic-Con coverage coming from all different sources, including, of course, ourselves and everybody else. Um, You know, uh, our friends at Royal Flush Magazine, which are over there, and countless others. Um, For some reason, Slick is telling me that RageWorks is down. Hmm. Of course, tells me that while I'm doing the show. Oh, book. All right. I know what that is. I guess I'll have to solve that. Uh, You know what? I'm going to have to solve that now. Hold on a second, guys. Got some, uh, some technical issues here. I don't understand why. Hold on a second, guys, while we fix this uh, little technical mishap. Hold on a minute. Bear with us. That was fixed. Uh, hopefully, uh, mytakeradio.com, well, mytakeradio.com, mtrlive.com, and RageWorks should be back up and running momentarily. Not sure why it went down the way it went. Huh. Anyway. For those of you that are listening to the show uh, via GFQ, you guys will be able to get get the live stream there. I don't know what's going on with the site, but we're going to continue to get the episode out there because obviously if I let it derail the show, it's going to fuck everything up. So if you are going to mtrlive.com or rageworks.net and you're getting an error message, give it a few minutes and definitely try to refresh And um, if you continue to exhibit any issues, please let me know. But in any case, we're going to continue to give you guys the um, live show for today until we get everything resolved. In any case, we'll edit out the uh, the dead air on our audio and video versions of the show. All right. So as I mentioned, when I started the show, episode 300 uh, came and went yesterday minus... uh, A couple of hiccups, which, of course, are continuing to rear their heads this evening. But in any case, uh, we're moving on with 301. We got gaming and entertainment on deck. Uh, What else are we going to be breaking down? We got a ton of news from San Diego Comic-Con. Like I said, we're getting stuff from our friends at Royal Flush Magazine, plus a ton of emails that have inundated my inbox, including um, announcements for a solo Batman film. We're going to get into that. We're also going to get into some of the gaming news of the week. I also want to discuss uh, the article that came out uh, earlier this week, well, late last week, early this week, regarding PewDiePie, who many of you may know is a YouTube vlogger slash game streamer that is considered one of the highest paid YouTubers in the game today. And I actually want to get into that for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it ties into gaming. Number two... Because there is a lot of a lot of press 
from various sites, some for the for the sake of clickbait, others for the sake of just getting the you know, getting the hits out there courtesy of PewDiePie. And I want to discuss it because the guy I've watched a couple of his videos and while they may not be for everyone, I do understand why the guy is as popular as we all know him to be. I mean, he's one of those guys that he was on my radar briefly and then all of a sudden he, you know, he just blew up and became this this household name, which was crazy for me because, like I said, I've known ton of different YouTubers, a ton of, di- a ton of different vloggers that have done different shows and have done different types of programming, and they've made a decent amount of money, but PewDiePie is on his own level. This guy, this guy's cranking out serious, serious money left and right, which is which is crazy because people wonder if there's money in any of this stuff, podcasting, uh, vlogging, YouTube, etc., and that guy is living proof that there is definitely a market for that stuff. So I definitely want to get into that. As always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. All right, so before we jump into the gaming for this week, uh, next week, there may not be a show Thursday evening because there's an event we're going to be covering uh, with EA, and um, it may conflict with the Thursday air date. I know during episode 300 I said that there may not be a show, but now it's looking almost like a certainty that there will only be a wrestling show, a wrestling and MMA show on Wednesday, but no gaming and entertainment on Thursday due to our coverage of that event. Uh, to uh, reference what Brian says in the chat, there's some money in new media, but not for everyone. You know what the thing is, Brian? There's so many, there's so many outlets being afforded opportunities that if people aren't finding ways to make money, yes, part of it is because you have to hustle. But the other thing you have to take into consideration is the fact that people need to learn how to leverage those mediums um, very, very aggressively. Sometimes you got to jump in and be the first one. Like a good example before I jump into the gaming for this week to answer Brian's question, you look at Vine. Vine burst on the scene, people jumped on board, and they leveraged the Vine platform to become household names. And then as soon as Instagram video came out, they took their 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 ball and they jumped into the next powerful platform. To some people to for some people that success was wasn't as fruitful as it was on say vine but nonetheless they took the they took the gamble and jumped into into the trenches head first now that's not going to be the same for everyone but you got to remember you have facebook you have twitter you have instagram vine periscope meerkat um you know there's 3d printers i know guys that are jumping into 3d printing now and are making money on etsy and some of these other sites making you know little tchotchke things that are that are catchy and interesting, and because of that, they're leveraging that to make a lot of money. It's it's one of those things where sometimes you got to jump in and you got to take the gamble head first, but you got to understand that there that it's definitely an uphill climb. There is no get rich quick scenario, and that's one of the things that I want to get into when I address the PewDiePie situation because 
it's it's a lot of people have that expectation. I know guys that have reached out to me and they've said, hey, you know, Rich, I want to start a podcast. What can I do? How do I do it? And the first thing I tell them is commit yourself to 10 episodes. If you realize that by the time you get to seven or eight or even episode nine, your heart's not in it, don't waste your time. If you can, if you get to episode 10 and you still have the same passion you had when you did episode one through five, then by all means continue. But it's one of those things that it's not for everybody. Same thing with, with YouTube. A lot of people want to jump in and start a channel and buy a capture card and that's it. And the problem with that is that there's more to it. There's there there's engagement. There's having a unique voice, being able to do something different than the next guy. Anybody can jump in front of a camera. Hell, I'm I, anybody can do what I'm doing now and jump in front of a camera. But there has to be that selling point. There has to be that 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 grab that you can utilize to to get people to watch your stuff. I mean, people are instantly going to say that. You know, women leverage themselves, which I disagree. I mean, I've I've seen uh, young ladies who are who are vlogging and doing uh, game streaming, and they just they they can't keep people engaged because there's a lot of dead silence. You're not having a good enough conversation. Maybe you're multitasking too much and taking attention away from the game itself. There's a multitude of reasons why things like that. You gotta really. Dip your toes in the pool and see if the water is warm. And then when you step in there, you got to make sure that you can swim and keep yourself afloat. I mean, that happens with so many abandoned channels, so many abandoned sites, so many abandoned blogs. So with that said, we're going to touch a little bit more on this in the gaming segment. And as always, if you want to discuss it, feel free to hit me up. But with that, let us jump into the gaming news of the week and get the ball rolling, shall we? Just a reminder that for some reason, RageWorks and MTRLive.com are down. I've already sent a ticket in to get it resolved, but we are still recording. You can still watch the feed live on GFQLive.tv. You can also listen via Mixler, either via the Mixler app or via the Mixler live stream if you've already subscribed to it on Mixler.com. In any case, archived episodes of the show will be available in 24 to 48 hours on MTR Live on, uh, well, yeah, MTRLive.com, RageWorks.net, and of course on our two YouTube channels, Official RageWorks and My Take Radio TV. Uh, Brian, that bumper is actually from Mega Man, so yes, that is from a video game, so there you have it. Anyway, so I, I do want to talk about. Uh, Street Fighter V and the announcement that we posted up earlier today uh, that Ken Masters is the newly announced addition to the Street Fighter V roster. And a lot of people are, um, they're, they have a love-hate relationship with his design. They do appreciate his play style, but they are, they're not digging how much and how different he looks. And I have to address that a little bit for a couple of reasons. When we posted the article Earlier today, you know, we got everything from Capcom, all the assets, all the video, everything. We uploaded the the trailer to the RageWorks YouTube channel. We put the pictures on the site, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As I watched the trailer, I noticed that no Street Fighter game would be complete without Ken and Ryu. I mean, it's just 
you know, or or Ryu, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But the fact is that those two guys, they, they are they are a staple in every game. So unless Ken gets killed off or something crazy happens, you know that you're going to see one or the other. Now, the thing that got me was the fact that was the announcement, uh, you know, you know, was the timing of the announcement worth it for San Diego Comic-Con? That depends. I mean, I would have leveraged San Diego Comic-Con to debut someone new because for those of us that are longtime Street Fighter fans, you know that almost every game is going to have Ken and Ryu in some capacity. And because of that, you know, it was a no-brainer. But I will say that the redesign for his character, uh, the, head, the head sculpt was different, the head of the appearance, uh, you know, the way he has his hair, the way that his gi is now, you know, he has a black t-shirt with red piping, and then he has the top of the gi tied around his waist with the shorts. It's, it's a completely, uh, a complete departure from the typical Ryu with the white gi, Ken with the red gi and the long hair. Uh, definitely, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. In addition to that, his the overhaul of his attacks from uh, all the different flaming uh, hurricane kicks to all the different uh, dragon punch variations showed that they've changed the play style of Ken into more of a rushdown style character, which is great. And on top of that, the best thing and the thing that I acknowledged immediately is the fact that it no longer is a palette swap. And, you know, a palette swap between Ken and Ryu. What you're getting are two separate characters who really have their strengths front and center. Uh, in Ryu's case, of course, you have uh, fireball attacks of varying strengths. In Ken's, you know, in Ken's sense, um, you know, you have a difference in terms of utilizing more dragon punches, more hurricane kicks. Uh, Slick, I'm well aware it wasn't a palette swap in four. I was just making a general statement. Thanks. Anyway, as I was saying, when you look at both characters now from four on, for the sake of clarity, you'll realize that they really went to a, a great... Di they really applied themselves to make each character different. Now, obviously, longtime players are going to jump in and they're going to realize that quarter circle fireball, reverse quarter circle hurricane kick, you know, Z motion for dragon punch etc etc and when you do that obviously you're going to feel quite comfortable but strategies are quite different than before obviously like i said you're getting more of a rush down often uh, offensively focused character versus guys that would utilize uh fireballs and dragon punches for defense you got to go in there and and kind of jump in the trenches which i liked i did feel that like i said releasing that particular character at San Diego Comic-Con was was okay and it got a buzz but I would have rather I personally would have rather have seen a character that maybe wasn't included in previous series and I mentioned this in our Rageworks group on Facebook I said you know uh, a guy like Alex or a guy like Urian um you know characters like that from Street Fighter 3 Q which is a character that uh, a lot of people talk about and very few people play on the regular. I mean, Q's design at the time when he came out, I looked at him and I was like, wow, that design is really crazy. And it wasn't until later incarnations of, of Street Fighter 3 that I started to use him and I realized, wow, that character is pretty dope. Usually my staples, Akuma, almost 90% of the time, definitely uh, front and center in almost every game. 
uh, Oni, which ended up being the character that I started using in the last Street Fighter 4 update that was released. Uh, usually I stick within that realm. Uh, another guy, Adon. Adon is another guy I use, which I, I hope makes it to Street Fighter 5. I have my doubts, but you never know. I mean, he's a character that's not embraced by many versus, you know, guys like, like I said, Ken Ryu and Bison, Chun-Li, um, Charlie in this case. I'm sure we'll see Guile. Overall, like I said, the announcement was great. Would I have rathered someone else? Absolutely. As for the beta, I know a lot of guys are curious about the beta. The beta does start later on this month, and the only way you can get access to the beta is if you pre-order the game. So, um, you know, if you if you want to get early hands-on access, I recommend you go to your local GameStop or Best Buy and pre-order the game so you can get that beta access because the beta opens, I believe it's July 24th. Uh, you can check the post on RageWorks.net once the site is back up and see for yourself, but I'll make sure to share the beta date for you guys um, on the fan page as well as in the group so you guys that are really, really uh, pining to get in on it can have the opportunity to do so. I did pre-order the game one of the few times that I actually had to shell out money for a pre-order, but I do want to get that beta access because, you know, I, I'm a Street Fighter fan. What do you want from me? But in any case, uh, Ken was newly announced. I'm sure we're going to get more character announcements in the coming weeks. Who knows? We may see another one at San Diego Comic-Con before the event ends. And um, they did tease one character at the end of the trailer. Uh, many, many people in the group were discussing possibilities of who it might be. I, of course, went with Akuma. But then as I watched the trailer before we went live, I said, eh, maybe not. Might be an older T-Hawk. Or maybe it might even be Alex, but Alex is a, based on the way the face was done, it looks more like T-Hawk or possibly Akuma than Alex. But again, until we get some additional news, I will definitely try my best to get you uh, some information regarding the teased character. But it, it's, it's definitely open to interpretation. All right, let's move on. On some other DLC news, we got some early looks at the Batgirl DLC for Arkham Knight called Batgirl A Matter of Family. Um, this is a brand new story-driven add-on for the game that is set before the events of Arkham Asylum. And of course, that DLC will be dropping later this month. Now, one of the things that a lot of people have had issue with is the season pass for Batman Arkham Knight. Obviously, the, you know, the... The double-digit $40 price tag is is not looked upon favorably by a lot of gamers, and I definitely can, can empathize with them. There's also rumblings that we may be getting a Game of the Year edition of Arkham Knight. I've seen some pictures and a couple of threads in a couple of different places. There's, there's no confirmation from me personally that can say, hey guys, there is a Game of the Year edition dropping, I don't know, in November, so hold on to your pennies or don't buy the season pass until then. I honestly would do you guys a disservice if I said that, because like I said, I've seen a lot of rumors and speculation outlining a Game of the Year edition, but there has not been uh, anything formal yet. Like I said, a lot of rumor and a lot of speculation. If anything, if you're really, really, really on the fence about picking up this game, I honestly can say maybe hold out till November till Black Friday and see if they drop the game.
because then at least if you pay half price for the game and then you opt for the season pass, it's not as terrible as, say, you know, paying the 60 and then the additional 40 and the game running you $100 for the full experience. Again, that's just a recommendation from me personally. Otherwise, you know, you're, you may be better suited to wait until the game of the year edition drops and then just get all the DLC that way. But I know a lot of people are are really, really, really hype about Arkham Knight. I've been playing it on and off gradually just because obviously life gets in the way. It is definitely an amazing game. Graphically, it's it's tremendous. And and I think Rocksteady did a bang up job. There are some little some little issues, a couple of caveats that some people have. Um you know, there are some glitches if you're a PC user that actually got the game and did not have it ripped from your hands, then you guys can definitely understand those glitches quite well. I haven't seen some of the glitches that people have been sharing that they have had on the console versions of the game. Just, you know, people's heads being stretched out and um, weird voice issues. I think the only voice issue that I've heard from someone that I know is that there have been instances where the character's lips are moving after the voice audio stops. But uh, those instances have been few and far between. Again, that's something that's uh, that's been mentioned to me by people I actually know. For those of you that are experiencing issues, I'm curious as to what they are. Like I said, me personally on the PlayStation 4 have exhibited zero issues whatsoever. Um, the only frustrations I've had has have involved the Riddler challenges. In any case, like I said, if you want to get the Batgirl A Matter of Family DLC uh, for season pass holders, you'll be able to get access to it on July 14th. You can also get it as a separate DLC purchase starting July 21st for $6.99 on the PlayStation Network and on Xbox Live. So there you have it. Batgirl DLC becomes available for season pass holders on the 14th of July. Everybody else, July 21st, and it's going to run you $7. Another game that's been quietly making waves on the web is Minecraft, the story mode adventure, which has been put out by Telltale Games. They actually released a trailer for it, and when I watched it, I honestly can say that it felt a lot like the Lego movie. There were, there were definitely a lot of parallels there. When I saw it, I was like, holy shit, it's, it's like a video game version of the Lego movie, um, you know, courtesy of Minecraft. And as I watched the trailer, I said to myself, you know, a lot of the younger demographic that are into Minecraft are going to have a really, really good time with this game. And I think that adding that story mode and giving it to a company like Telltale, who does, you know, who does such a great job delivering um, really great story-driven content. I mean, their Walking Dead games and the Game of Thrones series that they've done have been tremendous. Everybody loves the way that they're uh, laid out. You know, the episodic content is definitely spoken of favorably by a lot of gamers, but I think them dipping their fingers into the Minecraft uh, genre is going to be very, very interesting. Now, for those of you that are looking out for it and have seen the trailer, you're going to be able to pick up Minecraft Story Mode not only on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, but also on the PS3, Xbox 360, plus iOS and Android devices. So you'll be getting full access to the game 
across all the different mediums. Uh, definitely very, very cool. Now, the other DLC, and this this has been, <laughs> this DLC has pissed off a fair amount of people, and a lot of people are excited about it, and that is Destiny's Taken King DLC expansion. Um, a lot of people took a lot of, you know, a lot of people took to the web to shit on Bungie uh, because of the bundle exclusive items that are going to be put into the collector's edition version of the of the of the expansion. But the way I see it, when you look at a game like this, like Destiny, which again, you look at World of Warcraft, you know, various MMOs that they pretty much continue to extend their shelf life with very, very large expansions. It's, it's no different from the console stance. All, all you're changing is the hardware that's delivering the content. Again, that's not me sticking up for Bungie, but you have to understand that if you're trying to have a console-based MMO and you're trying to extend the shelf life of a series, the only way you're going to be able to do that is with expansions. Now, of course, those of us that have been longtime gamers that are strictly relegated to consoles are going to bulk at that immediately because when you look at it, you say to yourself, I paid this money. Sure, I can buy a season pass, but why do I have to, why do I have to pay for an expansion pack? And me personally, as someone who's dipped their toes a little bit in PC gaming, not much, I understand both sides of the argument. If you're a, a PC gamer, the first thing you're going to say is we pay for expansions all the time. Stop being bitches and either buy the game or don't. For those of us that are strictly console gamers that got into MMOs with Destiny only, we're going to feel that we are being gypped. Now, obviously, the expansion is going to include the usual stuff, weapon rebalancing, economy improvements, um, just overall bounty enhancements, but you're also going to get new story missions. You're going to get um, new weapons. You're going to have an increased level cap. You're going to get a bunch of redesigned weapons. You're going to get new cooperative strikes, new boss battles, and of course, they're going to add maps to the Crucible multiplayer and Crucible modes as well, um, including Rift and Mayhem. And last but not least, they're going to have a very, very huge six-player raid um, the expansion drops September 15th and I'm curious for those of you that are seasoned PC gamers I'm going to actually post this in the group I want to know what you guys think about it because in, uh, in all honesty when you look at that series you're you're essentially creating a blueprint for a game like War World of Warcraft to come to consoles Again, and I've said this before, and I've talked about this with Slick as well, a lot of the stuff that's, that's being executed, you know, $50 DLC packs, um, you know, $100, $200, $250, $300, dollars special editions. This is all, exper you know, experimentation throughout the game industry, and they want to know what works and what doesn't. If something doesn't sell, they're not going to pull the trigger on it, but... For those of us that are PC gamers, but also console gamers, the um, you have to understand that the expansion pack is, is kind of a par for the course. You know, you want MMOs on consoles, you know you're going to have to deal with the expansion bullshit. Again, 
don't take this as a cosign. Only take this as something that is is going to become the norm as more and more MMO style games make their way to consoles. I see Slick is on the line. Let me bring him in. Slick, what's up? What's up, man? Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. I hear you loud and clear. All right. What do you got? What do you got? Um, on the whole expansion thing, I wanted to chime in just because usually I'm shitting on expansion packs and everything. When it comes to things like Warcraft and Destiny and really expansion, these season passes and expansion packs in general, the question is how much how much gameplay is this adding to the original game? Right. If it's adding a, a significant amount of gameplay, and when I say significant, I would say at least 10 hours of solid gameplay. Right. Nothing repetitive. New, new, you know, new experiences for at least 10 hours. That'll be worth money. Okay. It's like, I, like I said, I, I have very vocally, you know, um, shown my disdain for the Batman season pass, even though I, you know, I love the game. I love the series. Right. But, but like the question is, I want to pay $40 for a bunch of challenge maps when there's plenty of challenge maps in the game as it is. Right. Because really, even though it looks awesome when you do it, a challenge map is is basically a lesson in tedium because nobody gets that shit the first time. you got to pull off like an 80-hit combo to really master that shit without getting touched. So right. So challenge maps are not worthwhile DLC for Batman and how many stories like the the Batgirl story are coming in that season pass how much time does that add to the game That that's what's ultimately going to determine whether or not the season pass is worth it or should we wait for the possible game of the year edition when it comes to something like Warcraft which like you said right now is only PC but who knows right when they when they announce like an expansion pack, it's like a whole new game. Right. They're adding a whole new quest. Usually, they're adding a whole new like area to explore, and that's why I say that expansion passes for a game like The Witcher Three are worth buying because that you know compared to something like the Batman Pass in quantity doesn't have as much content. It only has two things coming with it. But those two things are two brand new missions, one of which adds a whole new area to the game, and they're promising a minimum of 30 additional hours of play if you get the expansion pass. How much time is Batman giving you? They never said. Right. So a season pass or an expansion pass, if it's giving you a bunch of skins, or maybe another player for a fighting game, I say skip on that shit. I mean, ultimately, you know, to each their own. It's your money. You got to do with it what you want. But, you know, the reason why I say skip it is not just because this is stuff that should be on the disc. And with a lot of these season passes, it actually is on the disc, and the season pass just unlocks it. Right. It's just the fact that when we buy the bullshit season passes, quote-unquote, 
it, we're telling these these developers it's okay to charge us more money for games, and ultimately we're going to start paying more money for games even before the season passes. Well, you let keep, me. You know, if everybody keeps buying this, watch in a year or two the games will be seventy dollars instead of sixty. Well, let me let me stop you there one second, and I just I just want to, and you bring up a lot of valid points, but here here's where we and and again my my lack of experience in PC gaming is is definitely something that you know you can put an asterisk in what I'm gonna say, but here's here's how I look at it: when you invest in a game like World of Warcraft, that's a game that you expect to play not months. But years. So when you're when you're making that type of an investment and you make a sixty dollar investment and you get two years out of that game, servers are running fresh, everybody's on point, and they go, Yeah, we're gonna drop an expansion pack. And that expansion pack may be another fifty or sixty dollars. And you can either add it at, at, to the game or play it as its own title. The thing is that that investment, it, it quantifies the longevity of the game. You get what I'm saying? So here's a game that you just played for two years and you've leveled up a character. Now because the expansion pack has made millions of dollars, that's going to allow for more servers and possibly another expansion pack. Again, I'm not co-signing to nickel and diming gamers but I'm also of the mindset that if, if, a, if an expansion pack is making the company a million dollars, just as an example, and that million dollars is being applied to more powerful servers, better characters, more enhanced capabilities for the game that will extend its life another three or four years and say four years later, there's another expansion pack. I honestly feel that at that point you can't complain because I think in two years you're going to get your $60 worth if you've invested hours into the game. You get what I'm saying? I understand perfectly what you're saying, but you're not contradicting me. You're agreeing with me. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I didn't stop you to, to contradict you. I'm just saying as someone who is not seasoned in PC gaming, the biggest gripe you and I have always had is the nickel and diming of DLC when there is zero value. Bungie has gone on record saying that they plan to prove that the Taken King the Taken King expansion is more than DLC, it's pretty much its own game. And with that, they're trying to they're trying to fork MMO style expansions into consoles. And for all the people that have wanted to see PC games on consoles, you're getting your wish. But you're also getting your wish in the sense that, yes, you're getting those PC-style games on consoles, but they do have their own expenses. You know, the rush to judgment is what gets me. Like you said, you want the value. If they're telling you this is practically a separate game, the first question is, can I play it without owning Destiny? Let, you know, you go the choose-your-own-adventure route. If it's yes, great. If it's no, then it's like, fuck, now, you know, how long have I had destiny that this expansion just came out? And that, my friend, is the real gray area. Because destiny's been out, what, a year and a half now? Maybe going on two years? 
Yeah, I think it would be two years this fall. Right. So, okay, two years this fall, and the Taken King expansion comes out September 15th. So let's, let's you know, stretch it out a couple of days, and let's say, all right, two years the game has been out, here's an expansion. How does that differ from a World of Warcraft or a Diablo? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, like like people jumped jumped on, on social media immediately. They're like, "Oh man, what the fuck?" Blah blah blah. And I said, "You guys, your arguments may be valid because I am not a PC gamer, but in two years, you've actually ha- to, to correct myself, Destiny will only be one year old in September." Oh well, th- well then that's that's even see in that in that respect in that regard, there is some there is some merit to that argument. If the game was two years old, I'd say, all right, you guys are getting an expansion pack, but you've got two years of gaming under your belt. But one year, I kind of I kind of feel that they shortchanged themselves by by doing that because in that regard, you're you're gonna piss people off. Two years, I say, is is ample time. One year, you guys probably just left shit out on purpose. And that's that's exactly where I think both of us are coming from because just different delivery. If you paid, if you paid, I mean, today is almost July tenth. Let's say it's July tenth, two thousand and fifteen. Let's say you bought a brand new game today. Right. Let's say you bought Batman today. Right. If somehow in two thousand and seventeen in July they said we're releasing this for for um, you know, consoles and PC, and it's going to, you know, add on to the end of the story or be wherever in the middle of the story, right? Uh, or even before the story of Arkham Knight to I don't know, maybe explain how the Arkham Knight came to be and whatever, blah blah blah. If you charge thirty or forty dollars for that, and it has like a let's say anywhere from ten to thirty hours of gameplay, that's worth. That's not only worth. That's worth the money for two reasons. One, because I've said it before, there are games that come out today that are sixty dollars and don't even give you thirty hours worth of gameplay. Absolutely. And it's been two years since the game dropped, so it's not like you're paying a hundred and twenty dollars or a hundred dollars when the game first came out. Right. You paid sixty dollars when it came out, or whatever you paid, and you got your money's worth for pretty much a, a new game that that stretches the life of the original. Two years later, that that's worth the money. But expecting people to pay, and I'm, I'm pointing directly at Arkham Knight right now. Right. Expecting people to pay a hundred dollars at least from the rip. Yeah, right once. off the bat. Right. And you're not even really telling people what the fuck they're paying a hundred dollars for. Well, that's here's. The, I, I also use as an example the Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat X. But at least when Mortal Kombat X came out, and they they tried to jam the season pass down your throat, they told you what the fuck you were getting. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I turned on Mortal Kombat X earlier to get the Predator. And all the you know all the additional stuff that all the additional stuff that came with it. The thing is that Mortal Kombat 
pretty much dangled the carrot and told you, hey, you don't have to get this, but if you want to play as this guy, this guy, and this guy, then you got to pay. You know, sure, a year from now they may release an Ultimate Edition. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But by the time that Ultimate Edition is released, pretty much all the shit that they're going to include, they're going to have to give to everybody that paid for the season pass. Unless... They want to piss people off and, and do, you know, Season Pass Part 2, which is what kind of pissed people off with Killer Instinct, you know, Season 1 and Season 2. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Also, in, in regards to what Bungie is doing, I do feel that, that one, the one-year mark for that game is going to raise a lot of eyebrows because at that point you're going to start to question, did you guys omit this stuff? Because you knew that you were going to get people with the expansion? Or is this just new shit that you guys worked on? See, if the game had, had been out for two years, then you can give them the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, you know, this is new stuff they've been working on. But in one year, it does raise a red flag to some degree, you know? I would have to think, I mean, I don't work for Bungie. I don't work for, you know, any video game company. But I would have to think, that it's more the latter, that it's stuff they left out. Because for one thing, like we just said, Destiny is not even a year old yet. It will be a year old on September 9th. Right. And they've already released, I think, at least one, but I think two, you know, expansions already. Right. Three, two, two to three expansions in a year? That. That that kind of sounds like this is shit you just left on the table right. and didn't like. It, it's a Lego project and you just left this little piece off right. before you you sent it out to press. Yep, and you know it's it's um Brian Brian Monroe in the chat has a has, poses a couple of interesting points I want to bring up. He says the people who are complaining do not understand how markets work. It's their, and then he adds, it's their job to make as much money as they can. If they ask for too much, people will not buy it. They'll buy something else or do without. He also added, let's also keep in mind that this is a video game and not food or water. You can do without it if it's too expensive. He also added, let's also remember that many of these gamers have money as they're not spending it on women and kids many times. And you know, it's very interesting that he, that he references that because... The guys that are out there dropping that money, and I mean dropping the money day one, it's it's I think it's a higher percentage of guys that may not they may have significant others, I don't want to be too broad, but they may not have kids. You know? No, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but the the thing is even though they do have kids, the bottom line is their bills are usually paid before they Run out and buy these games. That depends, <laughs> and um, that does depend. I you know, mean, there's a couple of sketchy motherfuckers out there. A properly responsible adult. That's the key. But you know, and just it looks the, like it looks like Rage Works is up now. Yep, I just I just got the uh, yeah, the email. Um, just to to kind of bring it full circle. Here's here's where I stand. Gamers need to understand that if you want the PC experience, you're going to have to accept all of the PC experience, meaning that 
you guys want expansion packs and you want World of Warcraft and all that shit, you're going to have to shell out some money. Oh, this is bullshit. I got to buy gold. Tell that to a PC gamer. <laughs> you know, t- tell it tell it to the guys that have, you know, like a level like a level 60 mage that they've been that they've been building over the last 3 or 4 years and they've been shelling out, you know, money for expansion packs because they want to go out there and just wreck people with reckless abandon. Talk to those guys and then get back to me. Well, I mean, from what Brian had been saying, I can't see it because I just got in, but um, the bottom line is this. If you're going to complain, then you should be in the camp that I'm in where you're not going to spend the money. That's it. Too many people are complaining, and they're still shelling out the fucking money. Absolutely. You can't complain if you're still going to run out and buy it. Yep. If you're going to run out and buy it, shut the fuck up. That's that's pretty much it. But no, and and, and, I, and to take it one step further, like I said, people want to stand on console gamers want to stand on equal footing with the PC. Microsoft has kind of been doing that already um, with, uh, you know, cross platform play between PC and Xbox one. We're already starting to see that. And because of that, you're going to have to deal with certain headaches that PC gamers got to deal with. Namely, expansion packs. Tell me, tell me this. If somebody, if, if, if Blizzard decided in November, hey, we're going to bring World of Warcraft to consoles. And everybody's rejoicing, everybody's excited, and then they go, yeah, we're going to give you guys cross-platform play. And everybody's still excited. But yet they say, hey, uh, PC gamers have access to three expansions. You're only going to have access to the game first, and you're not going to be able to get the expansions for another year or two. What are console gamers going to do? Hopefully not buy it. Well, no. I I would think all the expansions that have come out, over the years, dude, they're gonna complain. If it ever did come <laughs> to consoles, they'd have to release a sixty-dollar version that has all the expansions up till now. Right, but I'm just—I use that as an extreme example only because maybe they're saying, "Hey, we've only formatted the first part of the game, you know, the first half of the game for the console. We will be releasing the expansion packs, but not, you know, not right away." Gamers are gonna get pissed off. Because they're going to be like, what the fuck, man? You know, we can do cross-platform with the PC guys. Why are the PC guys having having access to shit that we don't have yet? You see what I mean? Like, the parallel is you want the mutual benefits, but those mutual benefits, if you're a PC gamer, you're going to be pissed off because you're going to be like, yo, I just spent, you know, $200 between the game and all these expansion packs, and these console fucks are getting it for 60 I have another example that can um, actually is relevant to this this week's news. I'm all ears. Because it happened this week. Shoot. Grand Theft Auto Five. Right. Now, obviously, Grand Theft Auto Five is, is actually going on two years uh, this year. When the game first came out for PS3 and 360, you know, it had a certain set of, of radio stations. Right. Then it came out for PS4 and Xbox One back in back in November of, of this past year. 
and it had the same radio stations, but it had additional music that the PS3 and the 360 to this day do not have. Okay. Then the PC version came out in March, and it had a new radio station that had all new music that none of the console versions have. But okay. as of this Tuesday, when the ill-gotten games update came out, everybody with consoles got the, the radio station is called the Lab FM. Okay. So now everybody has that that radio station, regardless of what version you have. But people on the PS3 and the 360 still don't have the additional music that came on the PS4 and Xbox One version. Gee, I wonder so why that is. It's kind of a weird, weird thing, man. It's like you gave us something extra, but at the same time withheld something. Yep. And considering you gave us a brand new radio station, it's clear that you could have given us the other music as well. Yeah, but the other thing, too, my friend, is that is what I like to call the dangling carrot approach, which is what you and I have talked about before. Hey, you guys want to get access to Mortal Kombat X on, you know, you want to play it with everybody else, then you better buy it on PS4 and Xbox One, because guess what? People that are waiting for it on the 360 and PS3 may not get that game till the fall or the winter. And at that point, who's going to give a shit? You know? There you go. Same, same, same rules apply, man. I mean, there's, there's three different schools of thought here. Like I said, number one, console gamers want to be on equal footing with PC gamers, but don't want to deal with the PC gamer bullshit, which unfortunately, you're going to have to accept. That's number one. Number two, gamers that want brand that want to extend the shelf life of their games are going to have to really, really sit down and decide if, like you said, you're getting ample playtime for that investment. And, you know, number three, which is the thing that that people have to understand as well, you're going to be forced to embrace the new technology if you want the cutting edge of whatever it is or whatever game you are playing. This is a fact. See, Rocksteady did it right. They're like, sorry, PS3 and 360, you guys got to man up and spend some money. Can't play it on that. <laughs> that Straight up, dude. They were like, listen, this is it. I mean, 2K, 2K, and, and, and I'm going to use this to, to wrap this up. 2K announced their Stone Cold, that Stone Cold is the cover athlete for WWE 2K16. And um, they showed the trailer. We put it on RageWorks.net along with all the pictures and stuff. And when I saw the listing and the, and the email that was sent to me by 2K, they said, available on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, and PS3. Now, you and I both know that 360 and PS3 is not going to get all the shit that they're probably going to put on in that game on Xbox One and PS4. You know this. Right. But 2K is, is, is saying, hey, we, we still want, you know, the, the guys who are holding on, we still want your money. Your money's still good to us. Rocksteady turned around and said, fuck you. We'll sell a shit ton of games because people are going to buy consoles for this game. You so see what I'm saying? They made a freaking 
a Batman design PS4 just for it. There you go. Because and and you know Brian Brian's asking you know he 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 writes so what the reasoning is that companies are willing to embrace all the consoles because they're doing it as a favor, not because they got to do it. They don't got to do shit. Just ask Nintendo. Nintendo hasn't seen any any of these games on their consoles yet. The fact is that at that point. You know, people are going to have to pull the trigger and either adapt and go up to the to, to the new consoles or take the L and either miss out on the game or or, you know, or opt for anything else. That's that's pretty much it. Like PlayStation 4 and Xbox One knew that they were going to move units to play this game in Sony's case. They took a bigger gamble because they're like, hey, we're going to give you guys a console and a whole bunch of shit, and you're gonna buy this game. And dude, hell, you were you were at the midnight release. How long was the line? Well, the line wasn't that long because they let people in early. But apparently, the guys in Best Buy were saying that they moved a fair number of PS4s that night. There you go. Like they had a stack of of gunmetal grade PS4s. And, you know, the regular ones that came with Batman, and they were like, these are all for, you know, people who pre-ordered them. Well, to to well, stop right there one second, to answer what, what Brian asked, uh, you know, they're purchasing PS3 consoles for that game. No, what I'm saying, what I meant to say is, Brian, that certain developers are willing to extend their titles to those consoles as a courtesy. But a lot of developers are trying to force gamers to make the upgrade to the newer systems because they're either making the games look better, not even releasing them on the old systems, or making them mutually exclusive to that console. Case in point, Street Fighter V, which is only on the PS4. And you guys may remember that I said there were possible rumblings of an Xbox One. As of right now, only PS4. So... If you're a fighting game fan and you want to get and you love Street Fighter, then you better be ready to to plunk down four hundred dollars. Period. Better well, be ready. Yeah, I, I I hear what Brian is saying, and I I kind of mentioned this a few months ago that when they um back at the beginning of the year when when Dying Light was coming on coming out when they originally had announced it, they said it was coming out for all four consoles. Right. And then they changed it that it was only coming out for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And I said, that's a good thing, because if it's being built from the bottom up for the new consoles, then it's going to take full advantage of the, the new console's power Correct. and not be dumbed down. Right. See, now, now Brian says it's time to move on, upgrade. That's how, it's wor- how it works. Developers do not want to work on old hardware. They hate it. Again, no one is forcing anyone to do anything. This is true from, from, from that standpoint. But what happens is, and Slick can attest to this as, as well as I can, gamers get very, very fickle if you know, they're forced into, into a corner with regards to consoles. You know that because everybody that was out there with the Xbox 360s and, and you know, a, a, a bookshelf full of games said, holy shit, Xbox One's coming out and I can't play any of these games. And they're like, nah, you know, 
And and Sony took it a step further. They're like, hey, you want to replay that? You want to play that old shit? Well, you got to rebuy it or you got to subscribe to a service. Like they gave both companies at the time gave gamers that had an extensive library of games zero options. So what a lot of gamers did, they pretty much either they took the L and 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 they became like most of us and have to own all four systems or they stayed with what they had or they said fuck it and they jumped in, you know? Well, I mean, I've always been in the 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 fuck it boat because I never quite understood I mean, I understand the fact of, you know, not having a whole lot of disposable cash. We all understand that. Yep. But, like, giving up your old console to get a new one. I I have never been in that boat, and I doubt I ever would be, because these consoles are out. Like, the, the, PS, the PS3 is going to be 10 years old next year. The, the 360 is 10 years old this year. And it's like... If you bought those consoles when they dropped, you've been collecting games for nine or ten years now. Yes. Odds are you don't have a tiny collection. Nope. And like you know, like Brian's been saying to um to um talking about upgrading and everything, you can't expect you can't expect these new consoles to play the older games. I mean, anybody who's even Windows 7 or up, let's take a game like like um, Final Fantasy 7. Right. You gotta do like extra shit if you think you're gonna play that Windows 95, 98 game on Windows 7. Right. Well, to, to add to that, here's the thing. I think that the main issue with that and and you know we'll 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 move on from there is the fact that cons- the companies didn't even respect gamers that invested that much money like you said these are guys that have had 5 6 7 8 9 years worth of games that they may have sold most of them but they may still play them they didn't even they didn't even bother to give those guys the courtesy of saying hey you know you can still play this stuff on these systems that way you don't have to have four black boxes in your home theater that's one thing that nintendo did right you know they were like hey you know the gamecube stuff can still be played on the wii hey you got a wii u you can still play wii games on the wii u you know what i mean like they kind of kept the door open i mean it wasn't for everybody but it was enough that it that if somebody said you know what i'm gonna buy a new system they didn't have to outright trash the games that they were still playing yeah, but you you think about it. The Wii played Wii games, obviously, but also played GameCube games. Correct. The Wii U played all Wii games, Wii and Wii U. Right. I can't believe I just said that, but um, it does not play GameCube games. Right, but but at that but at that stage of the game, let's be honest that you're now two generations ahead. I would expect that GameCube would have got chopped off. It's no different than PS4, for argument's sake, being able to play PS3 and PS2 games and not PS1. You know, I'd be willing to accept that. Same thing with Xbox Xbox One playing Xbox 360 games. I'd gladly accept that 
because I know sure as hell they're not playing, you know, fat Xbox, original Xbox games. You know, I, I can understand that. My problem with that, and, and, you know, we've talked about this at Nauseam as well, is the fact that they didn't even give people that option. Like with PlayStation 3, at least, when it launched, it had backwards compatibility. And as the console matured and the library grew, the necessity for backwards compatibility slowly fell by the wayside. You'll also notice that anybody anybody who might out there who might have a launch PS3 and a PS4, you'll also notice how much quieter the PS4 runs. Freaking PS3, I mean, they even made a meme of it. It's basically a freaking George Foreman grill. Oh, dude, it's a jet engine. It's exactly. A, it, whenever I stream games, it's it's it, whenever I stream PS2 games without using a PS2 system through my launch PS3, it's like, it's like, it's like, holy cow, you know? Yeah, I mean, I hate to shout them out, but one of our, our, our listeners, Dark Helmet, whenever I played, you know, GTA with him, I used to think he had a shitty mic, but no, that noise in the background is his PS3. I could, I could understand that. It's that, it's that freaking loud that you can hear it over his voice. Yeah, it's, it's it's craziness. I see that um that Brian is holding. I'm gonna bring him on real quick to kind of bring everything home and move it forward. Brian, hey there. How are you, buddy? Doing good. Hi, this is Brian. Yes. Um, so you wanted to kind of like chime in on this conversation here because please sort of bring please up do. the point about technology and the money and everything else in the markets and things. I mean. I understand people's frustration when new things come out and it's like you spend a bunch of money and time, especially these games. Like, what do you call it? $50, 60 for like a console game nowadays, right? That's you know? correct. And you basically spend hundreds, $100 on a console. And But the point is exactly that's the point. You've actually done is these consoles around for like eight years or something like that anyways, you know? They've gotten a lot of play use out of it. You know, I look at what somebody goes out to a movie, you know, gets a one-time experience of watching a movie. You're even worse off goes and pays for, like, some some silly MMA or whatever one-time fight type right. thing, you know, on pay-per-view. You know, where you get, like, a single shot and that's it or go to an NFL game or whatever. You entertainment dollar, basically, you know. Right. Worse off, you can go to Vegas and go out and spend the money, you know. Long story short, the idea being is that, you got good use out of it. The games are not going away any place. You still have access to those games. They're not being revoked, right? You know, you still can play the games on the 360 or PS3. They're still good games to play, right? Right. Yes. So, you know, still play them. If you want the new stuff, get the new console, and you're with the latest things. And the point I was making about developers is, I'm telling you, I have friends of mine are developers. They like working on the latest computer hardware. That is what they're into. If they're good developers, that's what they want to do. So those people are going to make the best stuff on the best consoles. They're not going to mess around with putting stuff on other things that they do. And people are upset about having not all the features. Well, sometimes there's things that just can't backport. You know, you're not going to be able to put it on there because the hardware may not support it. It would not be the frame rates or the CPU basically doesn't handle it or some, you know, the graphics card, the CPU doesn't handle it or whatever. Right. So there's going to be some limitations there. No, I, I understand. I, and, and, the the thing is, and and you know, no. not to cut you off. The the thing is that when you look at at an Xbox One and a PlayStation Four, you're not going to expect them to play mm-hmm. super old shit. 
but you'd at least like yeah. to to not have four black boxes. You get what I'm saying? Like the Xbox 360 isn't at the end of its shelf life, <laughs> so you should be able to at least play that. Think about it. Windows 10, which comes out July 29th, yeah, but, 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 you can still use 8 and 7 shit. You get what I'm saying? Yes, however, that's, the problem is using the PC values, of, especially Windows, which is very good about and actually has security problems because of backwards compatibility to a gaming console, a, a, a standalone device that is going to be moving forward, different architectures that are going to be reasons why they move forward, right? And again, I'm, I understand the frustration of saying, like, when I have a second box there, but, you know, it, to me, it's not that big of a deal because ultimately, at the end of the day, you can have two, two boxes in extra TV set. Most TV sets will have multiple HDMI or other inputs. You plug it in, use your remote control, flip it over, no big deal. You know? No, I see what you mean. It's, to me, it's, it's, I, I guess I'm just saying to me, I understand the frustration where some of that new part where the new console doesn't fully like up to speed yet with all the games and everything. Um, there's not a library, you know, that's there. Right. But it's developing a library, and to give it time, it's going to get there, right? No, I mean, I, and, I, and I'm with you. The only thing that no. I'm saying is that if you're with, and the only reason I use the comparison with Windows is that even Windows has a threshold. And what I'm saying is, like, yeah. you have 10, it'll support shit for 8, it'll support shit for 7, yeah. but if you think you're going to get Vista yeah. and XP support, you're fucked. That's what I'm saying with the PlayStation and the oh. Xbox. At minimum, if you have PlayStation 4, you should be able to still play just PlayStation 3, not 2, not 1. Same thing with Xbox One. At least right. the 360, you know what I mean? That, that last generation. Everything <sighs> else, if you cut the cord, fuck it, I'll take it, you know? Yeah, but like, like I said, again, like I said, the problem is, again, I can't stress enough using a mentality, the computer mentality, right. that the console, which is more standalone. I mean, like we, Apple went, just let you know, Apple did go through this like three times anyway, between 68K back in 1980 to the PowerPC to the, to the Intel chips. So there have been multiple current generations. There was a lot of hard work to get things moved over. There is ways of making that work, don't you know? But I remember when they did that kind of stuff, it's not you could do it for computers because you can actually have emulation or you can do interpolation and there's ways of making it work but for something as high performance as the game it's just not technically possible i mean i'm just saying you, you can't that kind of stuff you're trying to push frame rates through and actually really push the hardware to its limits you know running word processing program is no big deal right and i could deal a backport i can run it on anything nowadays you know and i can run you know you you see people run like Windows 95 on Apple Watches, and who knows, all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff, you know? But that's, you know, but I'm serious, that's the thing. People do all these crazy hacks, but that point is, that's not reality when it comes down to, like, actual markets. When these companies need support, it's actually going to work. That's my point, basically. No, no. You see what I'm saying, right? No, you know? I, I'm which I, I got you, but you know what it is, too? Even Apple, Apple, uh, Apple at least gives you, here, here's, a, here's a good example, like, iPhone, you right. have iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, 5S, yeah. and 5. Eventually, an iOS yeah. update is going to come out, and people that are expecting to still use that iPhone 5 are going to be are going to be told, "Hey, the support ends at 5S, so you better you better upgrade." They, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like at least you're one generation got, behind. That's all. Yeah, and, and again, I get, but I I totally get that. But again, that's still a 
we even never have a perfect example of that. People went from macOS to iPhone, and you aren't going to run the same programs in one or the other. You know, and they're different architectures. Yep. Apple basically split, split the uh, thing there, even though it's technically speaking on the hood, it's the same thing. But, you know, as far as the user side, basically, they're totally different things. I, all I'm trying to say is I get the frustration to wrap it up, basically, I get the frustration, but I think people need to understand that are playing these games to understand that, again, they still get the great games that still have. Their games are not going away off these old consoles. Some of them are really great, you know, and still can continue playing. And the biggest thing I can't stress enough is you're not dead digital rights management where things are being pulled, because that would really, that's where I see where the real issue that comes forward oh, now, yeah. where we're buying these games on, online and rights get pulled because some vendor decides they don't want to just distribute to Microsoft or Sony or whoever. <laughs> that's like true. The, the deal, you know, and you can't download the game anymore if you got, buy a digital copy. That's something to talk about, honestly, to me. Not necessarily this, because to me, there's other stuff going on between back and forth, between, you know, old console, new console. That, to me, is going to resolve itself. It's a concern maybe now, but what I'm going to say, the big issue that should be talked about that, that I think is very much a concern is where we're going forward. We have digital rights and stuff where it's like, like I say, the stuff goes away and it's like, well, I spent $6 on the game and I can't even download it anymore. Yep. I don't know, a backup copy or whatever, and then you're done. You know, oh yeah, that's this, a- this goes across with gaming, but any kind of digital media content, be it movies, TV shows, music, all even apps and everything else, all that stuff. You know, um, I also did want to touch on your conversation you were talking about uh, uh, about earlier about cutie pie, cutie pie or whatever, right? You know, about people doing podcasting, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna talk about that also. Yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. actually go into that you know, on the on the tail end, but go ahead. Let me let me get your 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 thoughts on it. So there's two ways, because Ben Thompson basically, one of, Eckery, one of the things I like reading, basically, he's really good about reading about markets and everything else, and analysts. Basically, you either have hyper-specialized, which is what he does and other people are doing now, which is like saying you focus on a very tight niche, and you get money direct for the people you're, you're serving, right? Right. Or you do the mass market, which is what PewDiePie is doing, and you make money, lots of money that way. If you get somewhere in the middle curve, basically, that's really kind of like a ghost land where not very much is happening. You know, so I'm just saying that's kind of what you want to look there when somebody's doing, you know, thinking about doing podcasting or doing YouTube or whatever, that kind of stuff. Understand that what you really want to do is do exactly what you're doing here. Focus on what you're doing here. If you serve one niche really, really well, right. you do a really great job, you're going to do fine. But if you're just like kind of like in the sea of, I don't know, internet pod, you know, broadcast talking about tech or something, you know, and it's, you're not really doing anything special. It's just kind of like you're kind of like copying everyone else's work and not really doing anything special. You're right. going to get lost in the middle. You know what I mean, right? You know, no, I'm you're trying you. to serve some weird hybrid market that doesn't exist. You know, that's where the problem comes down to there. So I just want to bring that up. So awesome. No, <laughs> anyway, I, I agree with you and, I, and I'll expand. So. I'll expand on that. But you, um, you definitely threw a couple of things out there, which I'm going to definitely touch on in a few minutes. Sure. Okay. Thanks for calling in, Brian. You are the man, as always. I appreciate your support. Thanks. Cheers. Talk to you later. Thanks. Cheers, buddy. See ya. Bye. That was our very own Brian Monroe, a longtime GFQ listener that has uh, hopped on the MTR bandwagon and shared his thoughts with us. We're going to get into what he touched on with regards to podcasting in a few minutes. Uh, Slick, are you still there? Yep. I got I got one thing that's going to trip you out. So while San Diego Comic-Con was going on, Danny was sharing pictures, and this should come as no shock to any of us, a Xbox One Gears of War Ultimate Edition bundle. 
<laughs> which arrives in stores August 25th. The bundle will be available at select retailers, including the Microsoft Store, microsoftstore.com. You're going to get a 500-gig Xbox One, an Xbox One wireless controller featuring the 3.5-millimeter stereo headset jack, a full digital game download of Gears of War Ultimate Edition, early access to the Gears of War 4 multiplayer beta, the Superstar Cole skin, and the 14-day Xbox Live trial. So, should we be shocked about this at all? <laughs> no, but we should be pissed about it. <laughs> and it's not even because I'm not a Gears of War fan. Even if I were, I'd be pissed about it. Because of this whole shit with digital downloads. Right. I mean... Exactly what Brian just said. I understand that that's the direction they want to go, and they're still charging us full price for it, which is a whole other issue. Right, because there's but, no box I mean, and no hardware. I, I've, I've started running out of space on my, my PS4. I already got to get a new hard drive, and they've already announced that they're going to start um, selling Xbox Ones with one terabyte hard drives. So why are they putting a 500 gigabyte hard drive in a in a system and giving you a digital download right off the bat? That's yep. a load of shit. Hundred percent, hundred percent, my friend, and that's exactly what's happening. The thing that gets me is, you know, they're like, "Oh, you could plug a hard drive in, and that's great." Yeah, that's all. That's all well and good, but you're also giving me a game that's like ten gigs <laughs> off the jump. It's craziness. On top of the fact, and tell me if I if you agree with this. You're only re remastering and releasing the first game? Why not just re do a remaster like you did with Halo and release a pack? Am I wrong? You're not wrong at all. It's like you're remastering one game, which, you know, the Ultimate Edition bundle is going to be $349. You're going to get, uh, and I'm going to read this description verbatim. You're going to get an incredible value with the 349 Gears of War Ultimate Edition bundle because you will get a feature-rich game rebuilt from the ground up in breathtaking 1080p, including 60 frames per second competitive multiplayer with 19 maps and 6 game modes, as well as 5 campaign chapters never released on console. In addition, with recaptured and re rebuilt cinematic sequences, remastered 7.1 surround sound audio and seamless matchmaking, Gears of War Ultimate Edition is the landmark original game at its very best and one of the hottest titles from the greatest holiday games lineup in Xbox history. Thoughts? <laughs> what happened, Slick? You dropped out? Did I drop out? Oh, I dropped out. Hold on a second. Clearly, clearly that was my feed that cut out. So bear with me one second while I plug myself back in so clearly clearly the dial-up is not um not playing nice uh bear with me while we try and get that back up and running but um i will i will reconnect with slick in a moment as i was saying clearly clearly windows updates on the um what the hell is this on on the small netbook definitely not the name of the game let's try that again Clearly not. I'm going to have to go on without Slick. Uh, for those of you that are listening, um, you'll be able to continue listening to the show 
uh, via the Mixler feed. Clearly, the um, the Blog Talk Radio feed is just not playing nice this evening. In any case, as I was saying, the Xbox One remastered Gears of War Ultimate Edition is... Um, while I understand its purpose and the remastering, but um, I the thing that bothers me is the fact that you are losing all the other games in the series and you're only releasing one in a remastered bundle. If you could do an entire Halo Master Chief collection, why could you not do a Gears of War collection the same way and, and add it a little bit more value? You're remastering the original game, even though the second game was equally as good, you know, was equally as good as the first, and you're, and you're not leveraging that and are only going with the most obvious choice, that being the first game. It was, you know, it's definitely something that frustrated me as a, you know, as a gamer. I'm sure I'll end up playing it in some capacity. I'm not going to buy the game because, like I said, it's the first game. I played through it. I beat it. If anything, it would probably end up being a rental, you know, a Gamefly rental. But aside from that, it wouldn't be anything else. Because, again, if you've played the game and you've beat the game, you're only getting it with a fresh coat of paint. That's it. While we're on the subject of bundles, Call of Duty Black Ops 3 announced their brand new special bundle called the Juggernaug Edition, which is going to allow gamers not only to get a ton of shit, but also a Call of Duty mini fridge. I kid you not. The Juggernaug Edition is coming with a fully functional mini fridge featuring light and audio from the game and it will allow you to, to store 12 12 ounce cans. You're also going to get Perca Cola coasters, the season pass for the game, a collectible steel book. You're also going to get limited edition concept art cards, the giant zombies in game bonus map. You're going to get three personalized packs, including weapons, camo, reticle, and calling cards. Um, and of course, you're going to get the official game DLC soundtrack. So this Juggernaug edition is going to come with all of that and, of course, the game itself when it is released November 6th, 2015. Now, here's the thing that, that, that I'm curious about. We've seen special editions in the $100 category, the $200 category, the $300, even the $400 category. So you're getting this game with a mini fridge. Let me, let me, let me remind you. You are getting this game with a mini fridge. <laughs> that is your that is your special perk, a mini fridge. How much do you think it would cost? Slick, Brian, I know you guys are in the chat along with the rest of you guys. Uh all the stuff I said plus a mini fridge that holds up to 12 12 ounce cans. How much do you think that would cost? Cuz I'm figuring at least 300 bucks. At least. Least $300. And when I look at that, I say to myself, is it really worth that type of an investment? I mean, you get all the other stuff, which many people may consider to be cool, but is it really? Like, do you really need a mini fridge? Like, when they did the drone, when they did the remote control car, I thought, yeah, those are cool add-on bonuses, but you're giving people a mini fridge. I mean, Slick says $200. The fridge alone is like 90 bucks. 
okay. But really, like that's that's where we're going. Like like you're you're giving people special editions that are bordering on insanity. Like, hi, we want to sell you this special edition of this game with a fucking refrigerator. Unless the next Call of Duty comes with a Humvee or a real AK-47, that's that's just borderline ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. You're giving people a fucking fridge and coasters. Not only that, you're getting the fridge and you're getting coasters. It's insanity. But if you are interested in picking it up, the Juggernaut Edition, as of right now, there is no price. But it will be released on November 6th when Call of Duty 3 arrives on consoles. It's, it's insanity. It is, it is complete insanity. I'm definitely going to try and share the picture with you guys of said mini fridge because it's so insane and so unbelievable that me talking about it doesn't do it as much justice as me showing it off. So be on the lookout for that in our RageWorks group or on RageWorks.net. Net. All right. So as I mentioned earlier on in the segment and Brian also brought up, I want to talk about the situation with PewDiePie, who many of you know, um, his name is uh, Felix Kegelberg, uh, a.k.a. PewDiePie. He publishes videos of himself, obviously playing video games, and he makes a shit ton of money doing so. How much do you ask? Let me break this down for you. So when Earlier, earlier in 2014, he had 32.6 million subscribers and 6.9 billion views. Now in 2015, and I quote, he has 37.7 million subscribers and over 9 billion views. According to the Swedish newspaper Expressen, he has made 7.4 million dollars let that sink in 32.6 million subscribers that has now gone up to 37.7 and get this 9 billion views not 900 not 9,000 9 billion views Assuming that the $7.4 million figure is perfectly accurate, he's getting roughly 20 cents, comes out to to less than 20 cents per subscriber. Now, the thing that gets me is the fact that people, you know, in 2013, he made $4 million. He hosted a Reddit AMA, you know, discussing his earnings and letting people know, where that money went, charitable contributions, fan interaction, etc., etc., etc. Now, a lot of people are quick to judge PewDiePie's success, but you have to look at it like this. It's not just about playing games. It really is not. And this is where I want to discuss, you know, I want to go into this a little bit because let's let's think about it. And I'm going to I'm going to use myself, Rageworks and My Take Radio as examples. There's more to what we do. Well, let me let me let me not even use we at this moment. There's more to what I do than turning on this computer, turning on that camera, turning on this microphone and dealing with this stuff. 
Um, let me let me explain. So when you when you're a, a YouTuber or a uh, a podcaster, you're in the trenches fighting for every view and every listen across the board. And I say that because there's a lot of people that they think I can just turn on a mic, turn on a camera, and the money will roll in. And as I said earlier in the show, there's more to it than that. Because you have to not only get your hardware, which costs money, you have to get all all the all the software you have to learn how to edit if you don't know how to edit you have to learn how to remaster audio you have to learn how to set up your equipment there's a lot of stuff that goes into it in PewDiePie's case there's recording connecting with your audience being unique editing the video mastering the video releasing the video to the general public putting yourself out there as a human being and allowing yourself to be judged on a grand scale and PewDiePie is a guy who is not for everyone. Like his crazy over-the-top antics and behavior may not resonate with a lot of gamers. Some people may be like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? But the thing that bothered me was the influx of people that were speaking so negatively about this guy that they were they were like, yo, fuck this guy. This is bullshit. I could do what he does. And I, I want to go into that by saying... If you could do what he does, then damn it, go do it. Simple as that. Because I'll be honest, I've streamed on Twitch. I have the two YouTube channels. And you need time and you need equipment to make sure that it's successful. You have to ensure that you are unique and that people want to tune in to hear your shit. Do you, do you guys understand that there are literally dozens upon dozens of tutorials and message boards dedicated just to streaming games and making yourself an engaging personality? You know, things like make sure you have a consistent stream schedule. Make sure you have somebody moderating your chat. Make sure you're using this, this player, this compression, this microphone, this, that, and the other. And and the and what people don't understand is that it's easy to say I could do what he does. It's like those pictures that's that that floated around Facebook for months that said, you know, I'm a DJ. This is what my mom thinks. This is what my friends think. This is what I think I do. This is what I really do. That's that's pretty much it. PewDiePie is a is a case. He is a very specific, very special case. He created a unique approach utilizing a medium that's freely accessible and he connected with people on a level that made them feel a kinship with him he he's gone at he he's gone on at nauseum talking about how he connects with all his bros and he he really likes to to interact with his audience but when it got to the point where there was a lot of hate speech and stuff the guy shut off all the comments on his youtube videos and people were upset, and he said it. He's like, listen, I, I shut off the, 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 the comments for, for you know some of my videos or all of my videos because there's too much hate speech. There's too much, there's too much negativity floating around. And the thing that gets me isn't just the fact that the guy is out there you know, streaming video games and dedicating time to it, but it's like, it's like he said. He, um, you know, he, he put out a video 
acknowledging all the people that were speaking negatively about the about the money that he made. He wasn't defensive. He didn't scream. He was honest. He said people thought it was unfair. They thought that I just sit on my ass all day and yell at the screen over here, which is true, but there's much more to it. He said, if you think someone's funnier, go refresh their videos over and over because that's how we get paid. If you guys remember, like I said earlier, the Wall Street Journal published a piece last June, and at that point in 2013, he had made $4 million. He doesn't keep all that money. He's donated to, to countless charities. There was actually a, an article that was, that was posted about all the charities that he donated to. Companies like St. Jude, I mean, uh, charities like World Wildlife Fund, Save the Children, St. Jude's Hospital, Charity Water. Hell, earlier this year, Charity Water actually thanked him for helping 10,028 people in Rwanda get access to clean water. Think about that. This guy took what he did and the money he made and he paid it forward. I want people to think about this for one second. You wake up, you brush your teeth, you leave the you leave the faucet running just because you can. You flush the you take a dump, you flush the toilet. Maybe it doesn't go down completely. You decide I need to do a courtesy flush for my fellow spouse or my you know my roommate or whatever the case may be. You don't think about the fact that that there's water that's just going down the drain. But we still live in a world where people don't have water. And this guy donated money to allow 10,000 people to get access to clean water. I'm over here trying to make sure that we can keep the lights on and do what we got to do. And this guy's going out there and making a difference. Yeah, he made $7 million, and I'm sure he kept a good chunk of it. But more than a million dollars went to various charities. More than a million. Just let that sink in. He's also working on a book called This Book Loves You, which is going to focus on inspirational quotes, etc., etc. And the reason why I'm talking about this at length is because rather than, than jump on board and, and, and acknowledge you know, his over-the-top antics, his demeanor, how, how he develops, you know, how he develops his personalities, how he, how he delivers his content to his audience. I actually want to acknowledge the fact that the guy is a very, very unique talent. And rather than, than jump on my computer like everyone else and talk about how I dislike his presentation or his product, my job is to try and take that guy out. That's, that's it. Not, not, and I'm not saying that directly, but I'm just saying as a content creator, we should be focused on being number one in our niche at all times. If anybody gets into this game and says to themselves that they're doing it and, you know, they're okay with where they're at, they're full of shit because things cost money. Everything costs money. Period. And, and, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to just turn on this camera and spend this $100 on this capture card, and I'm going to start a channel, and I'm going to be successful in a year. What games are you going to play? Are you getting them for free? Are you renting them? Are you, are you putting yourself on camera? Are you doing picture-in-picture? Picture? Maybe your camera is shitty. Maybe your microphone is shitty. That stuff costs money. 
And as a, as a gamer, I was disheartened by seeing so many people speak so negatively because again, we are in a niche of uh, we are in a niche that people criticize and shit on on a consistent basis. I'm serious. Every time some guy shoots up a shoots up a school or a job or whatever, all of a sudden the gaming industry gets the big spotlight shined on it. Oh, you know, this guy played, he played Doom, and that was what motivated him to go and shoot up his job. Okay, maybe he did play Doom. Maybe it was a factor. Maybe it wasn't. But instead of going out there and being a unified voice, we'll be the same individuals that will tear down our fellow our fellow gamers that are making our industry look good. There are a lot of guys in this industry who I don't agree with. There are there is a lengthy list of individuals whose brands, products and approach to this industry I do not agree with. And definitely I could come on here and I can tear down every one of those guys legitimately because they have shitty business tactics terrible business acumen and conduct themselves unprofessionally. But you know what? For every terrible thing that they're doing, they've done a couple of good things too. Events for the community, uh, raising awareness about certain, you know, a certain demographics and certain uh, minorities not being represented correctly. There are certain things that are right that outweigh their shittiness to some degree. You know? This guy, he goes in front of his camera, he delivers wholesome, fun content, if you're into it, and he makes money doing it. Rather than sit here and complain about how, how he made his money or what he's doing about it, here's the challenge. Your job is to beat this guy. This guy is the Bowser to your Mario. The Bison to... To, to your to your Ryu or your Ken, the Akuma to your Ryu, the umbrella to your to your Jill Valentine. If you think as a content creator that you're as good as you think, then go out there and make a million. Make a million. Make five hundred thousand. Make two hundred and fifty. Hell, make fifty thousand. And let me know if during that journey for you to make $50,000, if it was as easy as you thought it was going to be. Because I'll tell you right now, trying to get someone to part with $1, one, is impossible. It is impossible sometimes. Slick can attest to this. When we did our, our, our charity events for Komen for the Cure, think about this. And, and I'm not going to rehash how angry I was about the turnout, but I want to say that to get people to donate five bucks, five, and I'm not talking starving college students or kids that didn't have jobs. I'm talking about adult professionals that game, getting them to part with a minimum of five dollars was a war of attrition. Slick can attest to this. He is my witness. It is a war of attrition. Like PewDiePie said in his response, 
you want to support your content creators, you want your content out there, then get get 10 of your closest friends to watch your videos and refresh. Get those same 10 friends to recommend your video to 10 other friends and 10 other friends. And then after you have those 10 friends do all that, tell them, hey, can each of you give me $5? And see how many of them truly do. And you'll understand how hard this stuff really is. And again, I'm not here to, to, to preach to you guys or to tell you how hard this stuff is because that's the easy part. What I want to do is I want to shine light on a guy who's not for everyone, but even though he's swimming in money, he's also paying it forward at the same time. All while reminding us that it's not as easy as it looks. It's crazy. It's crazy because we look at it and we go, yeah, you know, this guy's got it made. He doesn't. Do you know how hard it is to get one subscriber on YouTube to stick with you from the jump? I'm serious. Do you have any idea? Imagine how much content you have to generate to clear your first, your first couple of bucks. Let me tell you, the YouTube advertising model is based on ads that are shown before videos, at the bottom of videos, etc. That was an analogy, Brian. That wasn't that wasn't a, <laughs> that wasn't meant as um, you know an assumption. That was just a uh, an analogy. But what I'm saying is, think about it. So you got two sources of advertising, maybe three. You have the 30 second spot at the beginning of the video. You have the little ad at the bottom. Maybe you have a post a post um, a post video commercial. Those are your three outlets. You know, the fact is. That you're, those are your three outlets. You have to get people to commit, click, and watch your content and watch your videos. And if you can't keep your content fresh, engaging, clear, and concise, it is a constant battle. Brian just added in the chat room, just because he's making $7 million now does not mean it's going to go on forever. It is like pro sports. This is true. But like I said, in 2013, he made... Four million. Which and, and think about it. In thirteen it was four million, now it's seven million. I'll be honest. If 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 it failed tomorrow, or if he decided to stop doing videos, do you think he would be broke anytime soon? I'm gonna I'm gonna paint it I'm gonna paint it in one one other way before I wrap things up. And I'm gonna pitch it to Brian in the chat. Brian, you're gonna start a YouTube channel. And you've made in your first year half a million dollars in your first year. All right. Now, with that half a million dollars, what is going to be priority one? I would assume that you're going to invest some of it into the product to make it better to grow another million. Yeah, that is true. MC Hammer, MC Hammer is a terrible example, but it, I, I understand. But I'm just saying, think about it. Out of that money that he makes, that's seven million. Let's say you donated. Well, in your case, you made five hundred thousand. You invested a hundred thousand into it to make your product better. Your goal within the following year is to make that half a million a million. Period. By any means necessary. Either you're cranking out more videos, or you're doing more stuff, or you're trying new things. 
But at the end of the day, you're going to turn that half a million into a million. Otherwise, you're hustling backwards. I've said this before. The guy made $4 million in 2013. He now made seven. Seven. He went from four to seven. And on top of that, his viewership and subscriber rate his viewership and subscriber rate went went up. If the guy hung up his his spurs tomorrow, he could hang them up and still have millions in the bank. Millions. Unless he pissed it away a la MC Hammer. But let's let's think about it rationally. Say say he's got five million in the bank when he hangs it all up. You know, you don't exactly you don't know when the peak will be. But the guy's riding a wave of momentum that very few are able to do. And again, where everybody jumps out and they're like, yeah, you know, I could do it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, challenge accepted. I read that article. I read it. Let me see. I'll I'll tell you, this article was published on July 6th. All right. That was Monday. My wife's birthday was Tuesday. And my sister's birthday was July 4th. When I read that article on July 6th, I didn't touch my computer until midnight, 1201, July 8th. And the first thing I did was I looked up how to make my equipment better and how I would be able to allocate more time to growing my brand. Because I said to myself, that if that guy can make $7 million and I decided to really step up my game, I, if I could make a fraction of that, I'd be happy. I'd be, I'm honest. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. All I said was challenge accepted. That's it. So in closing, to wrap up the gaming segment, I want to say to uh, those of you that are interested in streaming, vlogging, podcasting, anything gaming related, non-gaming related, whatever the case may be, I got to give you three takeaways. Find your own voice, be yourself, and have engaging content. That's it. Find your niche, a.k.a. your voice. Be yourself because people will see through it like this. And make sure your content's engaging. And, and again, work at it. This isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't a, uh, a, a sprint. It is a brisk jog, you know, and sure you may get your first five or six subscribers. Maybe you get, might get your first hundred views. You may not, but if you really want to be successful, you got to pound the pavement. You got to put in the work. This guy is a testament to putting in the work and he's cranking out videos on the regular, go to his channel and check it out. You'll understand what I'm saying. So with that said, we're going to wrap up the gaming segment. We're going to switch gears. We're going to get into something a little bit more light with this week's entertainment segment. And we're going to wrap things up. So let's get to it, shall we? So I want to open things up with some Marvel news. Uh, Many people were excited that 
there was a very, very strong possibility that Ava DuVernay was going to be directing Black Panther. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Um, that, unfortunately, is not going to be the case. Uh, the Selma director told Essence Magazine that her and Marvel did not see eye to eye on how to approach the project. And so she decided to not sign on to do the film. So for those of you that were hopeful uh, of of Ava DuVernay stepping up and directing Black Panther, I'm, I'm unfortunately uh, going to have to tell you guys that it's not going to happen. You know, it's unfortunate that I got to tell you guys that, but the search continues. Of course, Chadwick Boseman will be playing Black Panther in the film, and um, you'll be seeing Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther debut in Captain America Civil War. And while I was I was disheartened myself as a fan to see such a talented director not become involved with the project, I understood how very, very gifted directors sometimes don't see eye to eye with the Marvel machine. I mean, there's there's no better example than Edgar Wright with Ant-Man and how, you know, even now that Ant-Man is on the verge of coming to, to you know, major theaters next week, um, people, still, people still felt that Marvel made a serious mistake. It's only now that press, press, uh, press reviews and, and press are starting to come in mainstream saying that Ant-Man is just as good um, as the first Iron Man film, which is, which is pretty big, and that it is a great story, had a great cast, and continues to be, um, you know, be the flag bearer for quality superhero movies, much like everything else that Marvel has done. I'm not going to co-sign to that just yet because I'm going to wait till I go see the film. But the problem with Marvel is that they're trying to create this universe. And in creating this universe, you're going you're gonna to try and recruit the best talent possible to bring these characters to life. And sometimes it's not going to be as easy as many had hoped. I mean, Joss Whedon himself said that it was, it was a battle for him to give us his vision of the Avengers. Same thing with Jon Favreau with Iron Man. It's, it's, it's not easy. So again, while I was disheartened to hear that Ava DuVernay did not step in to do Black Panther, I can understand how tough it is to deal with a company who you know is more hands-on than most. And again, and I've said this before in numerous shows, it is a gift and a curse. Does that mean that a better director is going to step in and give us an amazing vision of Wakanda and Black Panther? Sure. But as of right now, it is not going to be the director of Selma. That's for damn sure. Simple as that. Of course, during the long holiday weekend, many people were had their eyes trained on the box office just to see if any of the latest films that dropped would dethrone the summer juggernauts of Jurassic World and Inside Out. And unfortunately, they did not. Um, the number one film at the box office during the July 4th holiday weekend was Jurassic World, earning an additional $30.9 million and bringing their grand total to $558.1 million. Inside Out got an additional $30 million to bring its total to 246.2 and give it the number two slot. Terminator Genesis came in at number three, earning $28.7 million, bringing its total thus far to $44.2 million. I did get a chance to, I did get to go see Terminator Genesis, and I do have a review for you guys 
uh, between all the hardware issues and just getting back up and running, I have not had a chance to publish it, but I'm hoping to get it out there this weekend in the event that you guys that did not see it may actually give a shit about what I have to say and check it out. Uh, Magic Mike XXL took the number four slot, bringing in $11.6 million, and its grand total thus far is $26.7. Uh, number five was Ted 2. Number six was Max. Number seven was Spy, which is almost, uh, which is very close to clearing $100 million. Um, it made $5.5 million. Currently, its total stands at 97.9. San Andreas came in at number eight. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl came in at number nine. And Dope came in at number 10. Of course, uh, this weekend we got Selfless with Ben Kingsley and um, Van Wilder himself, Ryan Reynolds, a.k.a. Deadpool. Uh, I've been hearing mixed reviews. Most of them have been mixed towards the negative. I do want to see Selfless. I don't know if I'm going to pay actual money to go see it or if I'm going to wait for it to come out. I'm interested in the concept. Um, I think Ryan Reynolds is, is, is a solid actor. I really enjoyed his work with Denzel and Safe House. So I'm curious to see how well he can mix it up uh, with, you know, uh, on screen with, with such a, a, a diverse cast. Like I said, is it enough to make me want to go and spend 15 bucks this Saturday? That remains to be seen. Of course, Ant-Man drops next week. I will be seeing that immediately and then i will be seeing uh southpaw the week after when that drops because both those movies are uh must-sees for me personally uh ant-man obviously because it's a marvel film and i want to continue to support marvel and all their projects and southpaw just because uh soundtrack looks good jake gyllenhaal is awesome and um i'm a sucker for for boxing movies and and uh movies with that type of conflict you know kickboxer rocky best of the best I'm a sucker for those films, so when I saw Southpaw, I said, yeah, this is probably a film I'm going to want to check out. Plus, uh, soundtrack definitely is pretty dope as well. On the small screen side of things, right before we went to break with episode 299, I expressed how heartbroken I was that NBC canceled Hannibal, and I was hopeful that Netflix or Amazon would pick it up just because the show is so well done, well written, and the visuals are out of this world. Unfortunately, neither Amazon nor Netflix are going to be picking it up. Brian Fuller revealed that in response to a fan question on Twitter, saying that both streaming services have passed on the fourth season of the series after it was canceled by NBC last month. Um, right now, th there's there's still a chance it may end up on another service, but unless they're going to do a Kickstarter or something big, I, I really am not I'm, I'm not positive that we'll be seeing Hannibal pass season three, which again is unfortunate given that it was so well written. It was incredibly smart, incredibly graphic and visceral, but definitely a show that was not for everyone. And the days and the time slots that it were in were just recipes for disaster. We can only hope that one of the streaming services reconsiders or that they can find a way to give us a fourth season. But if not, enjoy this season while it lasts, because for the time being, it will be your last. In some casting news on the Marvel side of things, Daredevil has found its Elektra with Elodie Young getting the nod to portray uh, Daredevil's love interest and, of course, Marvel hero 
sometimes, uh, depending on, on which book you read, Electra on the small screen, courtesy of Netflix. Now, for those of you that don't know, Elodie Young was in G.I. Joe Retaliation. She played the character of Jinx um, alongside Snake Eyes. I felt that in that film, uh, the Jinx character is a character that many people may have seen in the G.I. Joe cartoon, but my experience with the Jinx character was from the animated G.I. Joe film, and I think Elodie Young did a good job considering the amount of screen time that she had. I think that she will, she'll definitely work as Elektra, um, definitely not very big shoes to fill because obviously, in my opinion, Jennifer Garner's Elektra was fucking terrible, but... um. Nonetheless, I think that bringing Electra to life uh, with a, with an actress like Elodie Young is is interesting because number one, you're not using an actress that's super recognizable, which means that you can lock her into both small screen and big screen projects, which is what they've been doing with a lot of Netflix, uh, with a lot of Marvel's Netflix properties thus far. Um, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued at her chemistry um, with you know with with uh, Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. I'm also curious to see how it fits in with uh, John Bernthal, who, of course, is playing the Punisher, uh, a.k.a. Frank Castle or Frank Castiglione, depending on who you ask. But um, um, like I said, I'm intrigued. I'm really looking forward to Daredevil's second season. I felt that the first season, it started off a little slow, and then once it picked up steam, it really, really set itself apart from some of Marvel's other properties, and it really carved out a niche for the darker side of Marvel in the Netflix space. Of course, uh, Jessica Jones is, is coming soon. Uh, Darede- um, you know, season two of Daredevil, Power Man, of course, Luke Cage, uh, Iron Fist, and The Defenders. And there's a rumor going around based on some conversations from San Diego Comic-Con that Wesley Snipes actually approached Marvel about reprising his role as Blade, which... As a fan of of Wesley Snipes and a fan and a fan of the Blade films, even the third to a degree, I, I'm very excited about this prospect. I would like to see Blade maybe get a Netflix series again. You want to keep that dark Marvel universe on the small screen because I think it's hard to translate those darker heroes to the big screen. Uh, you know, with either a hard R rating or even or or stripping it down to PG-13 and not giving it the truest interpretation. I think that's a big, that's a big issue with those characters because what happens is when here's a good example, ghost rider, the Nicholas cage ghost rider movies were not good. You may try and hunt and peck for things that were good about them, but they really weren't that good. There were, there were a multitude of reasons why they weren't uh, Nicholas cage. Just being cast as ghost rider is one of them. But the other thing was that the Ghost Rider comics are very dark, very violent, very visceral. Even his rogues gallery is just demons, killers, just just really, really terrible human beings and terrible supernatural characters that it would be impossible to bring them to the big screen in, a, in an R-rated fashion and expect those films to clear the same amount of money that movies like The Avengers did. Now, when you go with the Netflix you know, when you go with Netflix, it's a smaller investment. You're reaching a different audience, and if the and if it's not successful, you're not locked in. You could do a one and done series and keep it moving, versus the large investment on the big screen and expecting that return or even doubling that return on investment 
it's just not the case. I'm always concerned with R-rated characters making it to the big screen either because they get stripped down and become shadows of themselves, Wolverine, we're looking at you, or they get so over the top that it's just distracting like Punisher Warzone. So what you have to do in those instances, like I said, is go with the medium that's a little bit more condensed but also allows you a little bit more creative freedom. Simple as that. I mean, the uh, you know, Deadpool is going for the hard R rating. Ryan Reynolds fought that tooth and nail. And that's going to be the best test subject for an R-rated superhero success. Because, again, the Deadpool character, incredibly popular, uh, incredibly beloved by, by comic fans uh, for breaking the fourth wall, just being crazy and over the top, and, and just having a unique impact on the Marvel Universe. And that character, you could probably dumb it down to PG-13 if you wanted to, but you're not going to get that same, you know, that same, you know, cachet, so to speak. You're not going to get that. What you're going to end up getting is what you got with Wolverine, which is, uh, you know, killing guys off screen, not being able to embrace the beast. And, and when you did, it just coming off not as good as you had hoped. And it's no disrespect to Hugh Jackman. It's just the way that the studio chose to operate. So... With regards to, you know, Elodie Young, Daredevil, Wesley Snipes, as long as they keep doing these heroes in, in, in the confines of Netflix and then maybe sprinkling them into bigger projects, then it won't be so bad. If, if Daredevil shows up in a Spider-Man movie or shows up in the Avengers, it won't be so bad. Because, again, he's a character that you could sprinkle in there, and if you have to temper him down a little bit, it's okay because he's going to be amongst other characters versus an, an entire dedicated film, which you're going to have to try and cram everything in there. It's really not going to work. I think doing series for, for characters like Daredevil or Blade or Iron Fist or Power Man or any of these other heroes is a better course of action than investing so much money into a box office draw that may not pan out. It really won't. It's a gamble. Hell, I wouldn't mind seeing a Wolverine TV series on Netflix, just being able to embrace the, the more violent side of the character. You know, you could, even, you could even use the character in the mainstream movies and then just give him something more dedicated on Netflix. I think it would allow you to touch on the deeper aspects of Wolverine's origin while also keeping his character true to the source material. That, of course, is not going to happen because kids love Wolverine and Wolverine sells a ton of merchandise. But we can only dream. On the Star Wars side of things, this shouldn't come as a shocker, but we are getting a standalone Han Solo film. Um, it was announced that Han Solo will be getting a film within the Star Wars anthology line. Um, it's going to be directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who will be on board to direct the film, of course, Ward and uh, Lord and Miller are in high demand after their successful um, entries with the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street. So there you have it. Of course, this Han Solo movie will focus on a younger Han Solo, of course, one that was a smuggler, a thief and a scoundrel and will show how he went from being a no good piece of shit guy to one of the most beloved characters in the Star Wars universe. I'm curious to see who they cast in this role because obviously 
you're you're trying to embody a character that that Harrison Ford has pretty much made his own. I'm curious to see who they would cast for that and how they would deliver that that story to us while keeping it grounded and accessible to everyone. Again, something that we're going to be keeping an eye on, the solo Han Solo film, no pun intended, hits theaters May 25th, 2018. All right, so the other bit of superhero news I wanted to throw out there is Variety's report that Marvel is looking at Marissa Tomei to portray Aunt May in the upcoming Spider-Man reboot with Tom Holland. Uh, not sure how I feel about that. I mean, to Marissa Tomei is an incredible actress. Um, not sure how old we're going to be going with Aunt May. Maybe they're going to age her a little bit, but I'll be honest. I mean, Diane Lane was Superman's mother in Man of Steel, and they did a good job with that. I like Sally Field's Aunt May in the recent Spider-Man films. I thought she did her. Sally Field was tremendous, and she really captured a a lot of how Aunt May was in the books. Um, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach with Marissa Tomei because, like I said, I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna bring that full circle. Is she gonna you know wear makeup? Are they gonna make her look a little older like they did with Diane Lane in Man of Steel? We shall see what happens. But all signs point to Marissa Tomei being Aunt May in the Spider-Man reboot. All right, so. The last bit of news, of course, another bit of superhero news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con is the announcement that Ben Affleck will not only be starring in Batman versus Superman as, you know, the Dark Knight himself, but he will be working with Jeff Johns to do a standalone Batman film that he will be directing. So Ben Affleck will not only be portraying the Dark Knight, but he will be directing the Dark Knight's solo film as well. And, of course, it's going to borrow elements and stories that have been established from Justice League and Batman versus Superman. Um, I'm interested to see how this works. I know a lot of people are apprehensive about Ben Affleck's portrayal of Batman on the big screen. I personally am taking a wait-and-see approach, but I'm interested in seeing how he would handle um, directing a film about a character that's so iconic like Batman. Again, Ben Affleck has done... A solid, a solid job directing some really good movies. So I'm interested to see how he can bring Batman to life and what type of a unique spin he will put on the character, much like Christopher Nolan did with the Christian Bale Batman films. I'm interested to see how it pans out. I'm sure more will be revealed at the Warner Brothers panel this Saturday at San Diego Comic-Con. And of course, once I get some news, I will make sure to share it with you guys either on RageWorks.net or on an ep- on the next episode of My Take Radio. All right, so that's actually going to wrap up the show for this week. So let's get the hell out of here, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 301 presented by Rageworks. To find archived episodes of the show, you can find My Take Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and any other podcast platforms. Plus, of course, you can find the episodes on RageWorks.net, along with our other shows, including The Buried Show, Black is the New Black, MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, and many more. As always, live episodes of the show air every Wednesday and every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. 
on Wednesday nights, you get your fill of MMA and wrestling. On Thursday nights, you get gaming and entertainment. You can watch those shows on mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv, and of course, you can listen to the audio stream via Mixler. If you want to find and connect with us on social media, you can find My Take Radio on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. You can also connect with us via the RageWorks brand, either Rage underscore Works on Twitter or official RageWorks on YouTube, which is our main channel, or My Take Radio TV, which is a channel strictly for My Take Radio shows. Of course, you can also find RageWorks on Pinterest, Google+, and Periscope as well. All right, on behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the RageWorks and MTR crew, I am out of here. I will see you guys next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for our wrestling and MMA edition of My Take Radio. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thanks for tuning in, even though we had a shit ton of tech issues. Later. Rich, bitch. That's all, folks.